Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Lunch Therapy. I'm your host, unlicensed lunch therapist, Adam Roberts. My guest today is Kalu Henry, who's a food writer. Her work has appeared in the New York Times, where her roasted tomato and white bean stew went viral. It's also appeared in Cherry Bomb and Wine Enthusiast. She has a cookbook called Back Pocket Pasta that was named one of NPR's best books of the year. In today's episode, Kalu talks all about growing up in an Italian family. Talking about what we're going to have for dinner while we're eating, you know, toasted sesame bread from Arthur Avenue for breakfast. How she likes to entertain. I usually have like a, a snack board with like cheese and, you know, something briny like, a you know, cornichon and some, you know, sausages or cured meats rather. And we may even get her to sing a little. Peel me a grape. Crash me some ice. So, without further ado, here is my lunch therapy session with Kalu Henry. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, thanks so much for doing lunch therapy. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for asking. I'm flattered, sincerely. Oh, well, so, I mean, I feel like we have a lot to talk about. I'm a fan of your work. I love your cookbook. It's so cool. Thank I th- you. I think we're both pasta queens. I, I think so, too. I'm a fan yeah. of your work. So. Oh, thank you. But I, I, it's funny because um, I think you wrote an essay for Bon Appetit about um, testing a pasta cookbook and then like gaining weight in the process. And like that literally describes my entire quarantine of just making pasta like three times a week. And now I'm trying, now I'm facing the consequences of it. So yeah, it's, um, it's delicious, but yeah. it can take a toll eventually, but, um, yeah, anyway, that's a whole nother journey. Yeah. So like, what, what were you cooking during quarantine? Like, what were your go-to, like, what kind of food were you making? I followed you on Instagram, but same. Yeah. Um, well, obviously a lot of beans, but I was cooking beans before the pandemic. So but that so that didn't change. I did make a lot of um, Marcella sauce, like the okay. onion butter sauce, and it was weird because for someone who wrote a pasta cookbook, I'd never made that sauce before. Oh, and fascinating! It's like <laughs> iconic, and I was like, "What the hell have you been waiting so long for?" So I, now we make it all the time. It's really so so good. And for those who um, don't know, it's just like a half an onion and like a bit of butter and yep. tomatoes, and that's it. That's it. That is it. Why do you think it tastes um, so good? What do you think it like? What do you think about it is I, makes it I, so magical? I think it's the butter. Yeah, I do too. I think it's the yeah. I think it's the the hit of like creamy, like lactic, buttery oh. something in the tomatoes that yeah. does it. And then I, the other thing I like about it too is like I know you know no one wants to mess around with that recipe, but if one did, you could start like with a little pancetta or you could use some anchovies or, you know, you could sort of back pocket pasta. Your uh-huh. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you were going to say, so you did beans, you did, oh, yeah. okay. I did pasta. I did, beans, I did Marcella. I did a lot of roast chickens because mm. you can get so many meals out of, out of them, which I love. Um, I wrote an essay about that actually for food and wine. And it was oh, also cool a comfort thing you know it was like you have this chicken and then you can turn it into a soup or a stew it's just kind of like the gift that keeps on giving which I love um and then I also went through a really weird sour cream and celery leaf craving phase like it was just not necessarily together but like, <laughs> I was gonna say like, what is that <laughs> well that <laughs> actually I did come up with something but um but I just wanted like creamy creamy things I think it was probably like in retrospect uh, it offered me some comfort somehow. Wait, sour cream and celery leaf, but not together. So when you say celery leaf, you mean like putting celery leaves in like on things, yeah. on things. Okay. Yeah. But not yet, but you did yeah. come up with a recipe that puts them together. I did in my next book. Oh, what's the next <laughs> book? Can I ask you what the book is or is it a secret? It's not been announced. The title hasn't been announced yet. Okay. Um, I'm hoping soon. Um, and it comes out March 1st, 2022. Wow. I'm and- so excited. That's so cool. I'm excited too. It's beautiful. I'm really, really excited about the way that it looks. And um, it was funny because my friend who designed it sent it through to me and I had spoken to her um, two years ago. The book was supposed to come out this past spring and then we pushed it because of the pandemic. And um, I didn't even know she was going to still be available or want to work on this project at this point because you know so much had happened. And she read back the notes that I had given her on a call with my publishers. And it was the same thing. Like, and she, I was like, she had kept them. And I was like, oh my God, this woman's amazing. And I didn't give her any other information. And she just 
came back with the most beautifully designed book. And I was just like, and I felt this like <laughs> excitement and joy. And I was like, whoa, what is, what are, what are those feelings? Cause I hadn't <laughs> felt anything like that in so long. And I was like, yeah. oh, this is great. This is so exciting. Yeah. Well, yeah. I feel like you're, I mean, the back pocket pasta was so chic as well as really useful. I mean, there was something about it, like where you just kind of wanted to have it on your shelf because it yeah. looked so good too, which is, I think is interesting because I, I love writing and I love cooking, but design is not necessarily my thing, but I'm mm -hmm. realizing like, as I, you know, I'm getting more and more into food writing again, that like the cookbook world really is as much about design and aesthetics as it is about those other two things. So yep, I totally agree with you. And your background, I mean, I, I want to bring this around to you because we're about yeah. to go into your lunch therapy session where we're going to like excavate your whole psychology on the plate, so to speak. Okay, great. <laughs> but I also want to talk about musical theater at some point, because that was my major. Oh, you know, I'm doing a musical theater cookbook. Uh, right? Yes, yeah, okay. Do. Okay. Yeah. Wow. I was just testing uh, the three penne opera last night and it, oh, oh my God. it yes. came out great. Yeah. Um, it has pirate Genoese pesto. Amazing. Okay. Uh, okay sorry. Yeah. But your background, your background is, I, I read, you know, I did my research because yeah. there was fashion mm -hmm. and then food, but mm -hmm. it was fashion, it was fashion before food. Fashion was before food. Okay. Um, I, yeah, I, I, so I majored in musical theater. I moved to New York to become a cabaret singer. Love that. And, yeah, so, and I did, I did a couple of shows um, at, um, oh my God, what, what was it called? Danny's Skylight Cabaret. Okay. It's, not it's like a Thai restaurant in the front and then there's like a cabaret in the back. Anyway, it was great. It actually sold out and I got listed in the New York Times. I was like- Wow, <laughs> amazing. What was, what was your go-to like cabaret number? If like somebody's like, hey, Kolu, go sing a song for us. What would it be? Well, that's, there's two. I do have a party trick where I sing My Funny Valentine, but people that, I, that don't know that I sing and I'll just like do it. Uh -huh. But my real cabaret song is Peel Me a Grape. What's that? By Dave Frischberg. Do I don't know, know it, no. I'm not gonna do it right now. But. Yeah. You know that I, I play the piano. And so I feel like you and I would host the most wonderful dinner party ever together. Well, I'm going to be in LA for a book tour. So maybe <laughs> happen. that sounds like, yeah, an amazing dinner. Yeah. You would love Dave Hirschberg. He's a piano player and amazing lyricist. Um, I don't believe he's alive anymore, but you should, you, I think you'd appreciate his wit. It's really good. So that's your, that's a perfect song for you. I feel like if you have a cooking show on TV, that should be yeah. the theme song. Right. Peel me a grape. Oh, that's a good idea, Adam. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I love that. Mine would be, I can cook two from on the town. Do you know that song? Oh, amazing. Amazing. Yeah. So good. Wait, so you were saying, so, and by the way, like in three minutes, I'm going to ask you what you had for lunch. So we got to get through your, Sorry, your, your biography. Exactly. Yeah, we're just, we're just becoming friends very quickly. But you, um, fashion, tell me about fashion. Okay, so, I, oh, sorry. Yeah, so I was working in music theater. I mean, excuse me, major music theater, moved to New York, was doing cabaret, was bartending and working in restaurants. And that wasn't obviously, you know, it wasn't going to, I didn't want to, I needed health insurance. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. <laughs> I said, you should get into PR. And I was like, I don't even know what PR is. Sure, I'll get into PR. And her friend was interning at this company and it was fashion and lifestyle PR. And so I, I got an internship and then I got a job there. And um, it was, you know, interesting. I still love fashion, but I didn't want to work in fashion. And food was like always, you know, obviously such a big part of my life growing up and then working in restaurants all through college and then working in restaurants in the city. Um, and I took a food writing class and I ended up in food PR and then okay. um, moved to what was restaurant PR rather. And I was writing chef's recipes and, you know, coordinating photo shoots and doing all the things that you actually need to know how to do to make a cookbook. Um, but I didn't know, like, this wasn't like a grand plan. Like I had no idea, mm -hmm. you know, anyway, then I moved to Oregon. I worked at the, with the Oregon wine board, um, which was really interesting because wine is something else I'm super passionate about. Mm -hmm. I just launched a new series yesterday, Clue Cooks and Spins the Bottle. I, I saw that. Yeah, that's a great idea. I, I'm going to watch that because I, I love wine, but I don't know as much about it as I should. It's fun. It's fun. Anyway, and then I moved back to New York and um, got a job at Bon Appetit, but a long time ago. <laughs> right. And, yeah. Um, and yeah, Backpack Pasta was born during my time there. Well, you've had quite a journey. I mean, I feel like my journey is not that dissimilar because I went to grad school for playwriting. 
And it was there that I basically started food blogging. And I mean, I'd started it a little bit before that, but like while I was there, the food blog took off. And so I was studying theater, but I um, got into cooking and And now here we are, here we are. So (laughs) I think we, I think a good way to like go forward now is I'm going to jump ahead. I'm going to ask you what you had for lunch and then we're going to go, we're going to dig back into your biography because one of the questions that occurred to me through everything you just said is like, where did the love for cooking come from? Where did you learn? So we'll get into that. But, and do you pronounce your name Kalu? Kalu, yeah. Kalu, it's a beautiful name. Okay, Kalu, what did you have for lunch today? Well, I almost tricked you because I was going to say I haven't eaten lunch yet because normally I don't eat lunch until around now, but I ate early for you. Great. And I had, <laughs> <laughs> and I had um, some leftover steamed rice, a fried egg, some kimchi, um, some scallions, and a tiny bit of uh, sesame oil on top. Okay, that's that sounds delicious and very um, healthy, and you know, light enough but still substantial. Mm-hmm. Okay, so <laughs> I would now, agree. I would agree. <laughs> well, I think the first psychologically interesting thing that came out and this sometimes happens on the show which is the idea of like I wasn't going to eat lunch but because I knew I was doing this show I decided to do it so I guess my first question is is, are you somebody that likes to please authority figures (laughs) 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 are you are you a rule follower I'm I'm working on that in my own therapy yeah um, yeah. (laughs) am I someone that like yes I would say I'm a I'm a a people pleaser in recovery (laughs) Yeah, every every musical theater lover is a people pleaser in the yeah. recovery. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that's interesting. So, yeah. so do you feel like cooking for you has has been a way to like please other people, or is it something that you do for yourself, or both? Um, I think it's a combination of both. Um, I love more than anything like having friends like gathered around a table and making dinner and just you know having them enjoy what I make. But I also get just as much pleasure, you know, making myself like not today's lunch potentially, but like taking the time to put together something that I am only going to be the one that's going to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think I like kind of both equally, if I'm being mm-hmm. honest. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I mean, I think when you do it for yourself, it's like self-care almost. I was just going to, you took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because my, my partner Craig is about to leave to go to New York for a project and he'll be gone for a couple of weeks. And the kind of food that I make for myself when I'm mm-hmm. alone is so different than the kind of food that I make when he's here. So I think that that's an interesting kind of thing for cooks. Like my husband, um, Chad, same thing, except that when I go out of Town, he makes himself extravagant meals and when I'm in town I'm making him meals so I don't ever get to eat the meals that he's making for himself well why why that's interesting so have you ever said ask him to make like repeat a meal that he makes for himself for you I haven't it's become this sort of like ongoing joke between the two of us he like does it just to do it you know so I'm like what the heck dude you know (laughs) like what's an example of something he'll make for himself that he doesn't make for you um I'm trying to think he made actually um really well I didn't eat them but he did like incredible potato pancakes this is like a while ago um he like really just like took his time he squeezed the water out and he was like the best potato pancakes I've ever made (laughs) I was like great thanks (laughs) still haven't had them wow oh maybe this uh Hanukkah he'll make some (laughs) yeah I used to have a latke party that I did before the pandemic where I made like 300 latkes and everyone crammed in here and ate them. But I don't think I'm going to do that this year. It sounds a little stressful after everything we've been through. So, okay, let's, let's rewind the clock a little bit. So, um, where did you grow up and what kind of food did you grow up around? So I was born in the city. Um, and then my parents moved to the suburbs in to Rotham County, which is about, you know, 45 minutes away. Um, from Manhattan and uh, my dad commuted, you know, every day, still working in the city. Um, and my grandmother actually also lived with us growing up, which was a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah, I imagine. Yeah. Um, and she, you know, was, she lived until she was 102. Um, and she wow. was the eldest of nine of a family that came over from Italy in like 1900, I don't even remember, six, five. Um, and so 
I grew up eating a lot of Italian American, like you know, Italian American food. So, or American Italian food. I always get them. Flip <laughs> them. Um, so you know, we'd have you know meat sauce every Sunday. We'd have pasta a couple times a week. Um, we'd eat. You know, my mom was a really great cook, as was my grandmother. You know, we'd have chicken cutlets that were um, not breaded and fried, but like dipped in a combination of like. Uh, egg, uh, pecorino romano cheese and parsley. So they were sort of like Francese kind of, Mm -hmm. um, which were, it's delicious. Um, Did I say roast chicken already? She made a lot of roast roast chickens. Um, But the the Italian was like everything. It was Christmas Eve, it was Easter. It was all of the, all of the holidays and like talking about what we're gonna have for dinner while we're eating, you know, toasted, sesame bread from Arthur Avenue for breakfast. That's very, that's like funny because Italians and Jewish people are often compared to each other. And that's like, my husband always says that like, my memoir should be called Thinking About Breakfast at Dinner. Yeah, that's a good one. With fake memoir names. Yeah, I know. Oh, he he also says my memoir should be called Suffering in Stereo. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, well, that's, that sounds like an amazing childhood. I mean, my grandmother, uh, my, my mother and grandmother liked restaurants, so we would go out mm-hmm. to eat a lot. And my grandmother sold pickles at a flea market in, on oh. Long Island, which was very cool. cool. But there was not a lot of cooking. So to have that Italian grandmother making Sunday gravy for you, yeah. that, that sounds like the perfect food childhood, at least. I don't know about yeah. the other parts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was pretty neat. Christmas Eve is still one of my favorite holidays because we do Feast of the Fat and Fishes, so, wow. um, which I love all seafood so it's a it's a fun one so did you so your this was your mother's mother who was from Italy yeah. and then and then it was your father's side also Italian no actually so my grandmother married a Russian Jew my oh. Catholic grandmother married a Russian Jew Mort Goodman uh from the Ukraine and um but but and they did do passovers actually my mom told me growing up like my grandmother would make you know homemade matzo balls and do the whole state you know do standards and everything and i wish that we had done that honestly because i love passover um but we didn't i mean because he was not such a great guy so the italian kind of took over you know what i mean yeah yeah um and then my dad's side is uh german english you know that's pretty much it pennsylvania dutch which which is like you know I don't know actually what I mean does it mean they they come from the Netherlands if they're Pennsylvania Dutch yeah or, or actually, I have no idea I, I think know. they're German even though they yeah. call them Pennsylvania Dutch that sounds anyway. right so yeah. so where does your name come from so my name I'm named after my great-grandmother she was um Maria Nicola and I am also named Maria Nicola but my great-grandfather nicknamed her Nicolucha and it got shortened to Kalu along you know through the years and so um I always named Maria Nicola but I've always gone by Kalu. What a great name it's also such a great author name it's like even if I wasn't interested in your book like I saw that if I saw that name I'm like I have to buy this. <laughs> Thank you. I, I want that name on my bookshelf. <laughs> Um, so in terms of your identity, like it's interesting because I was thinking about your lunch as you were just explaining your heritage because your lunch was, you know, um, kimchi and rice. So it's sort of an eclectic, like you've got a little German, you've got a little Italian, you've got a little Jewish. So would you say your cuisine is a little bit of everything or do you mostly identify with Italian cooking? I mean, I think now, I think I've grown a lot since back pocket pasta. I think that yes, initially, well, I think that's an interesting question. Yes, I think my food will always be rooted in Italian cuisine to some extent because that's just what I what I know, what I grew up with, um, and I love you know I love all the flavors. But since Back Pocket Pasta has come out, you know I've recipe developed hundred over hundred recipes, a lot for the New York Times for food and wine, and I think that through those experiences, now I would say that I I'm kind of all over everywhere. That's really cool. Well, yeah, I feel like especially like living in 2021 now where like so many other cultures are starting to emerge. Um, yeah. I mean, even on the cover of like magazines now, you'll see, you know, dishes from other cultures. I mean, when I say other cultures, I mean, other than the ones we're, tr- we're traditionally used to, like totally. European, like, cool. Eurocentric. Yeah. Um, but I was going to ask you, I mean, this just occurred to me because you were talking about your career earlier and that you re- recipe tested for chefs or you developed, you worked with chefs. And I read your, your biography and, or your, Wikipedia or whatever, like your, or your website, but I, I know that you work for stuff. So 
what did it what did it feel like to step out of the shadows like to become your own food entity after having worked like did was there comfort in like being the the person behind the curtain or did you were you always waiting to emerge on the stage for yourself I think in, in the beginning of my career I started out wanting like obviously because I was trying to break through and be like a cabaret star um but then once I got to PR I never really thought that I would be the thing like you know what I mean like I was very but then once I started like coming up with this concept and realizing that I had all the parts to do it. I was like, I want to, I, yeah. And I think that the theater training in me sort of was like, oh, why not do this for yourself? You know, mm -hmm. like, and I, I like talking to people and I like, you know, being out and about. So, um, yeah, I'm fine with it. <laughs> so you, you're basically the Louise, um, to Scott Conant's, uh, baby June in gypsy oh. <laughs> but then at the, at the end of act one he ran off with tulsa and then you got to become gypsy rose lee yes i'll take it <laughs> <laughs> well we, we have to talk musicals for a second so okay yeah. tell me let's hear all about okay like what are your musicals what were your big parts like what um so yeah. okay so in high school um i starred as vera in in mame okay which was fun i don't know that musical very well but i do know that she sings bosom buddies right yeah okay it's a funny very funny song um i also um had a lead in babes in arms i played jennifer i can't remember the last name it's such an old school musical um and what else did i do in college we did a production of candide which was really incredible anything goes is one of my favorite musicals of all time. It's Me just too. Yeah. most fun. Um, and I love Carousel. I'm a real, I love, I love Rodgers and Hammerstein. You know, I just like, I do Cole Porter, all the, all the old classics, you know, mm -hmm. they, do, they do it for me. <laughs> yeah, me too. Carousel is the only time I've ever seen my dad cry in, like, at a musical. Like there's something about it that like, yeah, very that emotional. That if I loved you was my audition song for Emerson. It's also I think Steve, Stephen Sondheim's favorite musical I think is Carousel. Oh, Sondheim. Oh, yes. Oh, Into the Woods is one of my absolute favorites. Oh yeah, I was just, I was just testing uh, Pinto, Pinto the Woods, which is oh. a, a white bean dip with um greens, greens, and nothing but greens. Oh my God, this book is gonna be. I can't wait for your book. Well, my collaborator Gideon Glick um, played Jack in the Central Park. Uh, you know, the Shakespeare in the oh, Park okay. version of um, Into the Woods. So it's really fun because working with him, it's like he's actually been in these musicals. So it's like, okay. That's really cool. When I saw it on Broadway, like, you know, a very long time ago, Dean Butler played one of the princes. Do you know who Dean Butler is? is he, he on, I'll tell you. Right, who yeah. is he? No, no, I thought he was on Breaking Bad, but that's somebody else. No, he was Almanzo in Little House on the Prairie, which I also <laughs> loved. And so uh, I was like, this is like what a dream come true for me. So I did perhaps wait at the stage door for a <laughs> So Little House on the Prairie, it's interesting because when I think of your the pictures on your Instagram, it's like you have you're like in nature, like you're cooking. So was that was that a big influence on your food life too? Um, I did have the Little House on the Prairie cookbook growing up, which I oh, wow. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, they actually just released an, uh, an, a new edition of it. And it's quite beautiful. Um, and I do make their fried chicken recipe. They fry it in lard and it's so, it's so good. Um, wow, that sounds no, very decadent. That's what really influenced me. <laughs> okay, I don't know. I was just thinking. You don't it was, know, I, I, you don't know. Swing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, okay. So I want to get a, a clearer sense of your culinary education because did you mostly learn at the stove with your grandmother? Did you learn I, elsewhere? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I definitely absorbed a lot growing up. Um, and I think working in restaurants was also really helpful, just like seeing, you know, how it all sort of operates. Um, I, I'm really, I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm home self-taught. You know, okay. I went, I did take a fine cooking one class um, at the Institute of Culinary Education. Um, but I think really just like spending time in the kitchen and like reading recipes and cooking things. And, you know, once you understand like how long it takes to brown a chicken thigh, like 
that kind of helps, you know, take that at least piece away from like, how do you make it interesting now? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's funny because I'm going through that right now because, you know, I'm realizing after cooking for like 20 years now, I have a lot of instincts as a cook in the kitchen, just that I've learned from doing it over and over and over again. But then it's about like transcribing that into, yep. into a recipe and also coming up with some kind of unique twist or like something that makes it unique. Yep. And, and so, and it's, it's making me think about our conversation about, you know, cooking for yourself versus cooking for others. Cause I think writing a cookbook is the ultimate dance between those two things. Cause it's like, you want to make the thing that pleases you, but then you want to be able to translate that for other people. So I um, agree. So what, what are some of the recipes that you've done like in the past that you're proudest of, or like, what, what are some signature recipes of yours? Would you say? Well, the roasted tomato and white bean stew was the number one uh, vegetarian recipe of the year for the New York times, which wow. it went off. It took off like crazy that went viral. And so I would definitely say that one. And then also I've never had a recipe go viral before and not viral. Like, I mean, you know, <laughs> but like yeah. it, a lot of people made that recipe. It was kind of bananas. I mean, it was the number one vegetarian recipe. Um, and then also I'm known for my creamy white beans with herb oil. Okay. Uh, a lot of bean recipes here. <laughs> yeah. Beans. Okay. Interesting. We'll, we'll dig into that in a little bit. Yep. Okay. Um, so those two, I feel like are my big hits. I also do, um, there's a harissa and orange salmon. That's really popular on the times. And then a miso and maple glazed salmon also super popular. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to think what other recipes, I mean, I think those four are probably the biggest, biggest ones. So the first one was a, a white bean and, and what kind of tomato was it? Uh, roasted tomato. Roasted tomato. So can you walk Ooh. us through? I think people might be interested to hear, you know, when you're in the kitchen and so like you, how did that start? Like, did you, did you pitch this as an idea for like an article or were you, was it around a certain theme or was it just sort of a recipe that you were excited about? They, you'll generally get like what kind of recipes that they want you to create, like around, you know, beans, obviously fish, chicken, you know, so, um, to be perfectly honest with you, I don't remember exactly how the idea came to be, but I feel like I was like in the kitchen and I was like, you know, what would be really delicious. It's this thing, like roast mm-hmm. the tomatoes, keep them separate, add them back. And then there's like a little like faux gramolata thing, like with, you know, parsley and lemon that you add on top, which just makes it feel a little bit special. And I took a bite and I was like, chat, I was like, this is fucking delicious. (laughs) He's like, this is really good. And I was like, it's really good. And I was like, and I had a feeling it was going to be a winner. Um, and it was, um, and it was so funny because my editor, Margo, um, asked me during the editing process, she's like, is there like, do we have to roast the tomatoes? Like, it's like an extra, um, pan. And I was like, no, you have to roast. We have to roast the tomatoes. And I'm glad, usually I'm pretty easy. Like if you know, I'm flexible, but I was like, no, this is like a, a must. And I'm so glad I stood my ground on that one. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that, isn't it funny how like you have to like, it's like, there's a, like a vo- voice inside of you when you're a cook that like tells you like, this is right. I had that last yeah. night with a three penny opera because um, I knew I was doing pirate Genoese pesto, which was basically just pesto. And yeah. I had the penne and I, I was making it. And I was like, this is kind of boring. Like it's, it's literally just pesto and penne. Yeah. Like there's nothing to this. And then I had cherry tomatoes and I was going to put them in there. And then I was like, but that's and actually similar to you. I was like, that's a little boring. Like I maybe I, I didn't roast them though. I sauteed them with like garlic and chili yeah. flakes and olive oil. And then I started layering it and then I put on mozzarella and I put on Parmesan and then I baked the whole thing and it got really crusty. So like, but it was all very like, some voice within me was like you got to make this unique so I think that kind of just kicks in eventually but I I guess it's probably also about confidence too like you you know you're not like I think for me there was a lot of there was a little bit of imposter syndrome at the beginning when I started as a food writer like who am I to tell people what to do and then I think eventually I got to a place where it was like no like I, I cook all the time and I feed people all the time like this is good stuff like I should share this with people hundred percent. I also had that. And it's, mm-hmm. it still pops up sometimes, you know, it's like, yeah. wait a minute, what am I, what am I doing? <laughs> How did this come to be, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because you seem like a, very, like a very confident person. So, I mean, were, <laughs> were, were there insecurities along the way, like in the sure. 
yeah i mean it's sort of just like oh shit like i got the thing that i wanted and now i have to do the thing and i've never done this thing before but i mm-hmm. had the tools to do it but um but i think you know a lot of people have imposter syndrome you mm-hmm. know i think it's pretty normal um I don't have it anymore. I think just because as you, we've cooked enough to know, we actually know what we're doing, which Mm -hmm. is a nice nice way to feel. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Well, I also think people want you to be an expert. Like, I think one of the things, one of the things I've learned is that like when people come over for dinner, they don't want you to be like, Ooh, like, I don't know if this is going to be good. I'm not sure. Like I might've put too much salt in here. It's like, no, they want you to just say, this is, this is what, you know, you're going to, your mind is about to be blown. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I completely agree. And don't get too hung up. I mean, I'm always, you know, I, this next book is not, um, obviously it's not a pasta book, but the philosophy of like being flexible on yourself while you're cooking is always there, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, so well, I like, yeah. I thought like we missed a step in your story though. So you, um, sorry. Okay. Cause you went to, um, was it, college for musical theater like you mm-hmm. and where where did you study music like what was it a musical emerson. theater school emerson and did they have like a notable like musical theater program there okay so you studied there and then you moved to new york and you needed health insurance well, i worked in i worked in i was doing cabaret and i okay. worked in restaurants bartending um and then i needed health insurance and i was like i'm not the cabaret thing was just like i don't know I, it felt like it was going to have to be such a long, hard road, which, you know, obviously everything is in retrospect, but, um, I just wasn't committed to it and I wanted something more stable and I ended up in PR. Yeah. And I think that's a very common thing when you're a creative person, like, and I don't know if your family is very practical minded, but my, my family certainly was. So like, you know, I ended up accidentally going to law school, which is a whole other story. All that. (laughs) Oh yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I I went through it, but I was going to ask you, like when you were doing cabaret, who were your cabaret icons? Like who were you modeling yourself after? You know, I don't really think anyone. I just, I think for me, it was like, I I'm really tall. So Mm -hmm. I had a really hard time getting cast in roles because of my height. And I had this sort of like, ingenue presence but like but I wasn't going to get cast in those roles because you know it's there's not a lot of tall people in women in Mm -hmm. theater I mean there are some but you know what I'm trying to say like it's just like and so when my senior year came around and you have to do like a senior project I've always loved jazz standards and I was working in a jazz club um bartending in college and my my voice teacher at the time was like you should we should do a cabaret and I was like oh okay like I love talking about my love life at the time, not anymore. And, <laughs> um, and I love singing these standards and it just felt like a really good fit, but I didn't really ever like, you know, fall, fall in love or like model after or anything like that. It was just sort of like intuitive to like who I was at the time and what I wanted to do. Okay. So where do you live? Like what, what you live in upstate oh. New York? <laughs> yeah. I live in Hudson. Hudson. So if I move there and we open a restaurant together, mm-hmm. we could have a piano on a stage. I would love that. And we could like, mm-hmm. yeah. And it yeah. could be called Peel a Grape. Yeah. We're going to do an event. Yeah. There's going to be some song. Got it. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, know what's well, well, yeah. No, but we are going to do an event for the Broadway cookbook, but then you have, you'll like cook some of the recipes with us or something like that'd be really yeah, fun. And then, and then sing it. Sure. Yeah. And yeah. then when I come out for my book, we're gonna, I'm going to make you play piano. We're going to do like a mini set. I'd love that. Okay. Uh, but, okay. But here's where we're going to get, we're going to go deep into your psychology now because I'm okay. starting to, I'm starting to detect like some patterns here. Oh, okay. Okay. I can't wait. Well, because what I'm feeling in the story is like being on stage versus like being in the kitchen. Like, I feel like there's like a diff, there's, there's like something going on there, like where it's like being the center of attention and then being like sort of in the background. Mm-hmm. And what I'm hearing as you talk about like being an ingenue and being tall is like there is this desire to be um, the star of the show, so to speak, but also this sense that maybe I won't get cast as the star of the show. So I need to make peace with something, <laughs> something else. I mean, does that kind of capture your journey on some level? Um, yeah, I think so. And if I can be a star doing this, then great. Yeah. 
that's yeah, exactly right. my that's my story yeah. too yeah it's like you know i I've, i'm in la and so like i've i've written for tv and done some stuff like yeah. that but it's a really brutal industry and you have to want it more than anything and mm -hmm. i'm sure similar to you getting your getting knocked down like auditioning for things and not getting it it's like i go out for job interviews all the time i was like oh my god like how can i do this i mean i had a meeting with like one of my favorite tv writers i won't say who but you'll you would know i'll tell you later um and okay. she like you know i'd gotten through all the um stages like I met the showrunner I met like the executives and then I was all I had to do was meet with her it was her show and she loves food and she loves cooking and everyone's like she's gonna love you and so I had a whole meeting with her and I thought it went great and then she was like no and so I didn't get that job and I was like oh and so like you know that's why like going into food it's like okay like well I've built this thing in food where like I do feel like I'm a bigger fish in a smaller pond so to speak so I that sounds very I like it well mm -hmm. I feel like there's a lot of people in the food world who prefer the like comfort of the food world like there's something a little cozier because at the end of the day if you're a food person like you're feeding people like you're there is something ultimately nurturing. yeah mm -hmm. well, what did you say I said you're nurturing nurturing it's like selfless it's like yeah. it's it's a little I mean whereas like performing or trying to get cast in things or getting jobs it's like it's mostly it's like it's it's also like giving to an audience but it's also about the ego whereas I feel like there's something ego less about cooking Yes, although on the industry these days, I'm yeah. not so sure. Yeah, I was going to ask you like about some of the chefs you worked at without naming names. I mean, you probably had to deal with a lot of strong personalities. Um. Yeah, but I have to say, like, I really, you know, with a people pleaser syndrome that I had, I think I was able to like take it in stride. You know, I love um like I loved working with Scott Conan you know I worked with Marcus Samuelson I worked with Kurt Gutenberger and they you know they were I learned so much you know um Kurt can have a hot hat I will say that but I love him for it you know Wait, like who, 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 who Kurt where's Kurt the chef of yeah Valse yeah yeah I knew um, that okay yeah. um but I, it was like it didn't scare me. It was just like, you know, all right, my guy's mad about something. And then I'd see him and, you know, and he'd be like, Hey, what's up? You know, it was over, you know? So you have a thick skin. Like you didn't take things personally. No. Mm -mm. Yeah. Yeah. Weirdly with, with some things, other things, not so much, but mm -hmm. <laughs> it depends. <laughs> well, restaurant culture, I mean, there's something really tough about, we went to, um, Bavel the other night in LA, which is a hot restaurant. Yeah. And, um, Anyway, sorry, go on. Oh yeah, we sat at the chef's counter and they had just opened up because it was the day that like you didn't have to wear masks inside anymore. And I thought, you know, I got, I snagged this table at the chef's counter and I go, how fun, we'll watch them cook. But it was like literally, I, I tweeted that it was like being at a military drill. It was just like the stress of this guy, like rolling the pita and throwing it in the oven. And like, you know, I was like, oh my God, this is so intense. So I feel like, like for you, I feel like coming from having worked with chefs, and now being in the world of cookbooks and recipe writing, it must be nice to be like in your own kitchen yeah. versus being like in a room full of screaming people. Yeah, that's true. Although I do love the energy of working in restaurants and just like being around that energy and like, mm. I love being behind a bar because again, it's like a stage in a way, you know? Um, but yeah, I think it definitely gave me a tough skin. So tell me about wine and, and you talked about being behind the bar. So like, how, what, how did, where did your love from, for wine come from? My dad, you know, loved wine. And so I was kind of exposed to it from an early age. He would give us like, you know, little sips as younger people. At dinner <laughs> people. Um, and, you know, I think mostly I had worked in, in the food world for, for so long and I was drinking a lot of wine and I loved wine but I didn't know, know enough. And like, I was like, I want to figure out a way where I can work and learn more about wine. So, um, and I was working with Kyle McLaughlin, who's a really good friend of mine, who's a wine called Pursued by Bear. Mm -hmm. And um, I was like, this opportunity came up in Oregon. And I was like, I think that'd be a good move. And just like, learn about, learn about wine, um, which I did. And it was amazing. Um, but I'm an East coast girl. And I was like, I love you Portland, but I need to go home. Mm -hmm. um, but I've, it's always just been something that I've been interested in and um, wanting to learn more about. And I feel like that's sort of how my whole life is, like even with food, like if, oh, super, super interested, like let me throw myself into, you know, so I can learn, learn how to do these things, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and then I ended up, you know, 
what else did I do? I was asked by the Argentine Wine um, International Wine Board to be a judge for their mm-hmm. wine competition, which I was like, okay. Um, and it's just like over the years, you know, just the industry is a lot of friends in the industry learning, learning as I go. So for me, I don't have the same retention with wine that I do mm-hmm. with cooking because with cooking, it's like visceral. It's like, okay, like if I let the garlic burn, and I add the tomatoes, the sauce is going to taste burnt. Like it's right. not going to taste good. But with wine, I feel like I try to learn, I try to study as much as I can as I like, look at the bottles, but I, I don't know. Like I know that like wines from Mount Etna are minerally because they're, they're in volcanic soil. I guess yeah. I know that, but like, I don't, I, I feel lost. Like, do you have any advice for people who like want to become more knowledgeable or, or is it just about having a gen- genuine interest and just wanting to learn? I think it's about um, drinking a lot of wine and figuring out what, what you kind of wine that you like, you know? Um, and if there's, it's interesting, you know, someone said to me once I, I picked out a bunch of wine for an event and someone said to me, did you pick it for the front label or the back label? And I was like, what do you mean? And he was like the distributor. And I was like, that is such a great point because if you trust the distributor, like if you, if you're liking wines that are coming from a certain distributor, then you're probably going to like a lot of the wines that they're bringing in. Mm -hmm. So now I actually look to the back of the label and I'm like, oh, X person, this comes from their company. Like this, they must think this is interesting. So, Mm -hmm. um, and just sort of exploring and like, you know, I did this, this wine thing yesterday where I recommended three of my favorite summer wines and they're genuinely what we're drinking right now. Um, And I learned too, because I was like, okay, like I need to figure out like how these wines are made. And, you know, I know inherently, you know, that if you age Chardonnay in a stainless steel tank, like you're not going to have any like oak, like buttery, you know, shard stuff. So it's just like about reading and learning and, 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 and having an interest. Well, okay. I'm going to take this a little further because I happen to be sitting in front of my wines that we just bought. Oh, I hope. Okay. I don't know that. No, I don't want to make you nervous. No, no. I want you to like, just help me like look at this bottle Right. And tell me how to read it. So I we go to this place, Lou, Lou Omder. He's like the big like wine guy here. Cool. And when I go there, I just say like, hey, we want 12 bottles, like four red, four white, four rosé. And mm-hmm. just like, here's our budget. And like, yeah, it's an interesting one. So like, here's a red that he picked. And I guess people can't see this because um, they are listening to this. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to hold it up so you can see it. But then I'll read you some of what it says. And maybe yep, we can okay. go this through. So the front label says Fondata Nell 1958, Alberto Quaccarini, Sarah Pe- Sorry, my dog is going crazy. He doesn't like this segment. He hates wine. Uh, Sarah Petrona. Sorry, first of all, I take this as Italian. Prodotto yeah. in Italia. Okay. It's a 2016. Um, it's DOP. Okay. So, so what, I mean, is there, is there, um, who's on the back label? Okay. So on the back label, um, it says Sarah Winston, knock it off. We're doing a podcast. <laughs> oh my God. Sarah Petrona, Denomination de Origin Controller, DOP Red Wine, Alberto Quaquarini. Okay. So that must be. The, the, yeah. I don't know that at all. Now I, I, I Okay, it says made from our indigenous Vernacia Nera grape, grown in the hills near the Adriatic Sea. Oh my God, why is this thing going so crazy? Medium in body, ruby red in color. It has intriguing aromas of red fruits and spices. So yeah, so okay, so that makes me. Yeah, that's also I've never heard of that varietal. It sounds indigenous varietal that I've never heard of before. There are indigenous varietals that I have heard of before. Yeah. That one is new to me. Would you send me after our, <laughs> will you send me the, the details on that? Because I'm now I'm really curious about what that is. Yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> it was, it, even that little bit was helpful because it's like you told me to turn the bottle around and look for yeah. the distributor. So I'm sorry. I'm just going to go give me one second. Okay. <laughs> Winston, what are you doing? Okay. I'll cut that part out. <laughs> oh, I don't actually don't care. We have a dog. No, no, I mean, I mean, just the pause that we just, oh, yeah, okay. um, but anyway, so that wine, yeah, I mean, I, but that made me feel good because it's like, okay. So as a wine person, you might not know everything, but you'll, Definitely not. Yeah. yeah, I'm very, I'm a novice, but I have an interest and I know enough mm-hmm. to know what I like. And I know enough of, you know, the regions that I like. So 
I think that's a really good place to start. So what are what are some of the why I guess you just did this on your Patreon, so I don't want to steal from oh, your okay. own. That's yeah, fine. yeah, what kind of wines do you like and what what kind of um, who are some of the names that we should look for? So I love um I really like I love acidic food friendly, like high acid food friendly wines, which are Pinot Noirs for the most part. Um, there's a wine that I featured on the Patreon called Mein Klang from Austria, which is indigenous, two indigenous varieties. Um, one called Saint Laurent, which is like a very special grape to my heart and Zweigelt. Saint Laurent kind of is, is very Pinot-ish. So pairs really well with food. Um, and that's like a chillable wine from Austria. It's a little bit fizzy, sort of has like a pet nap top. Oh my God. Fizzy red wine is, is the bane of my existence because we just had a dinner party Yeah, and somebody brought a warm fizzy red wine, which I didn't know was warm. And I was in the kitchen opening it and I just made this whole dinner and I literally, it was a volcano of red wine went like up and all over the kitchen. Oh my God. <laughs> I, I didn't know I, I should have just put it right in the refrigerator, but I guess I wasn't thinking and just oh opened God. it. Yeah. Um, there's a, an amazing wine that I love called um, Pella Verga, which is another varietal, very small production. There's like 29 people that make it. It sits um, outside the Barolo region of Italy. So you're not paying Barolo prices, but you're getting similar uh, flavor profiles for mm -hmm. like a, a, not at like, like $20 as opposed to like, you know, $60, $70. And what was that called again? That kind? Pella Verga. Pella Verga. Okay. That sounds yeah. great. It's delicious. Um, we went through a whole Pella Verga party, a bunch of wine friends and I, because no one ever really talks about it, but it's just, a, it's a great wine. Great. Um, what else? There's an amazing um, pink bubble that comes out of Portugal. And of course, I can't remember the name of right now. Her, the winemakers, her name is Philippa. I can't remember what it is right now, but anyway, drink, explore, figure out like what you groove. And then I say maybe explore that region a little bit more or, mm -hmm. or that varietal and, and made in a different place. So when, when you cook dinner um, and you have a bottle of wine that you're excited about, do you cook to cater to the wine or do you just make whatever you're going to make? Yeah. I make whatever I'm going to make. <laughs> so, I mean, but, but but if it's like a red, would you make like a delicate fish? Like, I mean, do you, do you stop if yourself? It red, I would, if it was a red, I would drink um, a chillable red or a Pinot could also work. Pinots are sort of like, they kind of go with everything. Mm -hmm. But what's or your favorite? But do you yeah. enjoy a food and wine pairing? Like, do you do you sometimes? Absolutely. Like, yeah. So like, what's your favorite thing to make with a certain wine? That's... God, that's a tough one. I feel like lamb and red. Like I love like a, like a meat, yeah. something something very meaty, like steak or mm -hmm. lamb with like a yeah. very bold red. Like that to me is to for me that's like the perfect marriage. Although I also love like mussels or seafood with like a really crisp. Like, I, was, I was just gonna say like yeah. like a like a crab, you know, like a Dungeness crab and like a beautiful minerally white would be awesome. Oh yeah. Um, Oh yeah. My husband's family is from, um, the Pacific Northwest and oh. in the su summers they go crabbing and they, on the beach and they put, they catch these crabs and they boil them in the seawater. And then they open a bottle of like, you know, what, Sauvignon Blanc or just something, yeah. but we sit on the beach and we like crack it open and eat it and drink it. And it's pretty much the greatest. It's so good. Yeah. Um, and like, sure. If I'm making like beef bourguignon, then I'm going to want to drink a nice bottle of burgundy, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm pretty flexible. You know, I'm not going to do anything that's like not going to taste good, but mm -hmm. you know. Uh, so back to our psychological themes here. I mean, you know, we're almost towards the end. So you've been a good yeah. sport. <laughs> I hope you didn't mind no. me, me delving into your psychology over your no, lunch. Um, but I was going to ask, so in terms of like, you know, things not going your way, like when, you know, if you cook something and it doesn't come out or if you have people over and it's a disaster, like how do you cope with that? Because I, I was thinking about the idea of being on stage and like forgetting your lines or, you know, having a disaster yeah. happen. Yeah. Is it, are you good with that? Um, I am. I think like we had a bunch of people over this past weekend and they had bought these amazing um, fresh rice noodles from a store in Philly. They, were, they came up from Philly and I had a feeling 
that they weren't going to work. They were just like left out too long. And I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to try this, but I just, I don't have a good feeling about how these noodles were going to come out. And I was right. <laughs> Luckily I had bought, um, some vermicelli, you know, it was in the pantry and I was like, okay, I'm going to just like get rid of these, put the, you know, put the rice noodles in and like make this happen another way. Um, and it was great. It was delicious. No one knew, you know, oh, they didn't I, know that the ones they brought didn't, I mean, I told the people, but like it, it wasn't missed, you know what I mean? Right. It was, it's a bummer because fresh rice noodles would have been amazing. Um, but, yeah. um, and then in terms of like recipe stuff that doesn't work, it's always a bummer because, you know, obviously you don't want to waste food, but then it also gives you an opportunity to sort of challenge yourself and say, okay, well, what didn't work about this and how can I make it better the next time? So mm -hmm. I kind of, I kind of enjoy that piece of it. So when you cook for people, I mean, are these gatherings like a small number or do you, do you have like big groups of people to your house? It feels like you're somebody that would cook for a big group very comfortably. Yeah, we generally, there's about six of us. And then like for Easter, which is not huge, but that's like, I think six is like manageable, you know, um, in terms of like last minute, you know, platings and getting everything out. But then um, Easter, we had, I think I had like 11 or 10 or 11 people here, which was super fun. Um, everyone had just gotten like their vaccines and it was just like a big, we, we stayed, you know, we socially distanced in the backyard, but it was just mm -hmm. like this really neat. I did a, a slow braised lamb shoulder, um, mm. with beans and what else did I do? Some sort of salad, springy salad. Um, but I, yeah, it depends. It's usually, you know, I would say anywhere from four to 12 <laughs> people. So, okay. So walk me through like like a dinner party, like the next one you're going to throw or the last one that you did, like, are you somebody that's like sitting everybody at the table and bringing out appetizer courses and then bring out, I, I feel like you're very like put the plates out family yeah. style. Okay. Yeah. I usually have like a, a snack board with like cheese and, you know, something briny, like, a, you know, cornichon and some, you know, sausages or cured meats rather just let people hang out. You know, we, my husband, uh, redid our backyard last summer and we didn't get to use it because we went to Canada for a couple months. Um, and so this is the first summer that we were able to really enjoy it. And it's just become like the hub of where everyone's coming over. Um, so I'll put that out. We have, you know, wine in a bucket, people help themselves. And then, um, yeah, I'm family style. Like, I mean, sometimes I'll set a table, but sometimes it's just like, you know, plates and laps. Like last summer with the pandemic, my front porch was where everybody hung out and it was like eating, you know, six feet apart mm -hmm. and like everyone had plates on their laps and it was, it was actually really sweet, but, um, yeah, I'm casual. I'm super casual. I want people to cook elegantly and effortlessly and not overthink things. So when you do, um, like something like that, is it like, do you think, how do you think about it? Like, do you do like a protein and then like a vegetable or is it like, like, yeah. how, how do you calculate? Do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, for something like the Easter, the Easter, not dinner, it was like a day. Like mm -hmm. I knew I had a certain amount of people coming over. I also knew that I didn't want to be cooking while they were all there, you know, because that's like, that's no fun either. Mm -hmm. Um, I try to get ahead of things as much as possible. So like I made the lamb, you know, two days before I made the beans the day before. So I knew that like, when it came time to serve, it was really about like making an herb oil or making, you know, a salsa verde or whatever I did. And, you know, just kind of like reheating things. Mm -hmm. um, and same, I think, you know, I'm trying to think it's interesting. Like I've become so chill about making dinner for people. It's just like, I, I used to get like, you know, years ago or not even years, like I would say a couple of years ago, like so worked up and like people are coming over, you know, but now I think because of how much I cook, mm -hmm. it's just like, eh. I got yeah. this. I'm not, I'm not too worried about it. Like, you know, it's going to be That's fine. How I, feel. Yeah, I, I totally feel that. I think for me, it's also realizing that most people don't even cook like a, a fraction of the amount that I did. Like, 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 for, like the right. pasta, like the pasta I made last night, the three penne opera, like, I was like, is that enough? Like, am I doing enough? And I, I realized like, yeah, of course it's enough. Like I'm making a pesto. I'm making like cherry tomato. You know, it's like so much yeah. stuff goes into totally. this, but, but, it, but normally I'd be like, oh, I have to do a salad. I have to do, you know, and I didn't yeah. do that. No, we, I mean, I, you know, I pull together meals, like the whole, we have a whole joke. It's like dinner again, yeah. like, what? <laughs> like what's for dinner again? Um, and it always had like, this is beautiful. How the heck, you know? And I was like, yeah, just, you know, use what's in your fridge, you know? <laughs>
Well, that's actually a great transition. So I start every podcast with what did you have for lunch, but I end every podcast with what are you going to have for dinner tonight? Well, I'm shooting a video this afternoon. Um, so well that this evening rather, so we'll be eating grilled shrimp and fried potatoes. Wow. That sounds delicious. More to come on that, but I can't give it away just yet. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But is that for your Patreon? It's not actually, it's for something else. Okay. Um, Yeah. Nothing that crazy, but. (laughs) So I I guess that that leads to the question of like work versus life. Like how do you integrate like like is there cooking that you do just for you and chad and is there cooking that like does it all bleed into the the two things bleed into one another all the time or um they do yeah yeah i would say for the most part that they they sort of have a lot of overlap because if i make something for dinner and i'm like this is really good i should write it down because this would be a great recipe for patreon or for somebody else or for my next book so i'm Mm -hmm. always thinking about creating something that can be utilized unless I'm just like you know tired and ordering a pizza which happens you know happens once a week I would say yeah it's funny like I I've become so annoying I mean people are so used to it now with me but like literally anything that goes into my mouth I take a picture of before I eat it and so like we'll go to a restaurant with friends and like they'll order like some exciting appetizer and all the hands will be like going I'm like whoa 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 you know oh my god gotta get my picture yeah everything is content my lunch for you I should have Oh yeah, that's okay. I used to have, I used to have my guests take pictures of their lunches, but then I realized that hearing about them um, is yeah. actually more evocative than I think the picture kind of takes away some of the mystery. Did you do you approve of my lunch? Did I groove with your lunch? Well, yeah, groove. Let's go groove. Did you groove with my lunch? Oh, what, what, did, what did you originally I didn't say? Did you approve, approve of my lunch? Oh, see, you want my <laughs> approval. This is where it all started. You're seeking author- approval of authority figures, but I'm not an authority. I'm just a lunch therapist. Um, I did. Appro- I mean, it was interesting because I felt sometimes the lunches, like in the descriptions, the, the way people describe their lunches, mm-hmm. they're like little clues about something or other, or like it leads to something. But yours, though, I felt it was almost, I don't want to say like clinical, but it was like, it was very like matter of fact, like I had rice, I had kimchi, I had sesame oil. You know, I, I didn't, yeah. I wasn't able to like pull a lot from it that, that revealed a lot about you, but maybe that in and of itself revealed something about you. Maybe it did. That's where I was hoping we'd go with this. That's why I was asking. I wanted a little more intel from you. Oh yeah. You're spending a lot of money on this lunch therapy session. So yeah, I gotta, I gotta deliver. Um, no, I, I thought, I thought it was very professional. I mean, I thought it was evocative. Like it felt, it, it felt of a piece with who I imagine you are, which is somebody that like is thoughtful, but maybe, you know, is not going to like pig out over like a whole bowl of like, or a big bucket of fried chicken at lunch. I don't know. Like it felt a little, yeah, I don't know. Just based on your Instagram, based on, it felt like, yeah. very, you know, put together, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. That was, that was my, okay, I like it. I like you. Thank you. But like with therapy, like it's not supposed, you're not, the therapist is not supposed to say what the lunch means. It's mostly supposed to, I'm supposed to draw it out from you. So what do True. you, what did you think your lunch meant? I think I'm going to have to do a journal after this. No, I'm just <laughs> Please do. Yeah. We, we encourage that uh, with all of our patients. No, I mean, I think, you know, I, I generally don't eat until the afternoon. Um, and I try to keep things super healthy during the day just because I cook and drink in the evening. So I mm-hmm. kind of want to just kind of save it for them. So I don't have to, you know what I mean? Yeah, of course. Um, but I also love using, utilizing what I have in my fridge. So, you know, there's usually an egg involved or, you know, beans are involved. Um, you know, I mean, obviously if we have pasta left over, I'm going to eat it, you know, mm-hmm. I just didn't because we went out for dinner the last two nights, which is very unusual for us. But, you know, I think everyone's feeling like, like the roaring twenties a little bit, you know? Oh, totally. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. We've been going out a lot too, to the point yeah. where like, I'm realizing, okay, cause we're also trying to lose a little weight and it's like, this, these two things don't go together. So. No, I know. It's true. I'm like, I need to chill and chill on the frozen drinks that everyone has all of a sudden. And I'm like, I need to rein it, rein it in. Yeah, we went to, actually the hardest to get reservation right now is for Houston's. Do you know Houston's, the chain restaurant? Yeah, but really? Like, yeah, like you can't get into Houston's right now. And I think it's because like their food there is just like, just comfort food, like burgers, yeah. fries, you know? And so we went, we actually got in last week and we went to Houston's and had their burger and fries and it was, heavenly 
so funny. I was in the city two weeks ago with a girlfriend and we were like trying to decide where to go. I'm like, let's go to Houston. But uh-huh. then we, we were not, but, but I was just like, haven't been there in so long. So I'm like, now, now that you brought it up, next time I go in the city, I'm going to go. Yeah, I think there's this is the time and place for Houston's like, we don't, you know, yeah. we don't need anything too fast. Although it was, it was fun to go to Bavel and be back in like a, a hot back new restaurant. Yeah. So do you go yeah. into, do you go into Manhattan a lot with um, living where you do? Yeah. I mean, pre-pandemic, I would be going in like two to three times a month for events, for meetings, for, you know, networking. Um, yeah. I haven't been in as much, you know, obviously in the last year and a half. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm down, I'm down there a lot. My dad lives there. So, you know, I'm in, I'm in the mix. And where did you, where were you, you were born in the city, you said? Yeah, I was born in um, the West Village. Oh my God, that's so cool. Washington Square Park was where I spent the first three years of my life. Would you have liked to have stayed in the city? Like if you- Yes, I always yell at my parents. They're not together anymore, but I was like, why did, why did we do, why did we move? You know, my uncles actually bought the building and for like $45,000 in 19, I guess it was like 70, I don't know when. And so everyone lived on a floor Uh and then they sold it in the early eighties and made no money. And I'm like, if you guys would have just held on to the apartment, building. So much now. Um, Well, I think we have reached the end of our lunch therapy session, but I was, I was going to ask you one more time, but feel free to say no, but will you sing a little bit of feel me a grape? I'll sing you. um, Okay, sure. I'll sing you one line. How about that? Great. Oh God. I hope this works. I haven't sang this song in so long. Uh, Peel me a grape, crash me some ice. Skin me a peach. I can't do it now. I'm going off key and everything. You were so good. That was great. I loved it. Uh, Well, thank you so much, Kalu. And it was so great to meet you finally. So great to meet you too. Thank you again for having me. It was a pleasure. Yeah, this was great. And so get ready for our our joint event in um, when your book comes out and when my book comes out. Yeah. When is your book coming out? Just curious. Mine's fall 2022. Okay, great. We got a year. All right. Well, have a great day. day. Bye. Thanks. (laughs) 